Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you. We are in the gospel according to Mark chapter 11 this morning. And if you have your Bibles, please open to the gospel of Mark chapter 11. We will stand and we will take verses 27 to 33. And so would you stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 27, Mark's gospel, chapter 11. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they responded among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men... They feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. They answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Please be seated. The title for this morning's message is, That Galilean from Nazareth. Now, To us, it's very special that he was that Galilean from Nazareth. Nazareth, but to them, they had such disdain for the Galileans, people in the northern part of Israel. There were so many Gentiles up in that area by this time in Israel's history. And Nazareth, what good could come out of Nazareth, said Philip, echoing the sentiment of the day. And so, of course, they felt because he was from that neighborhood that therefore he had nothing to offer anyone and needed to just shut his mouth and do what he was told by them didn't work out that way. It is now Tuesday of what we call Passion Week, as he is, he won't finish the week alive, as we count life. Uh, this uh, Tuesday event happening at the temple will last all the way through Mark 12, and not till we get to Mark 13 does he finally uh, depart uh, the temple and looks like he stays up in Bethany until he has the Last Supper. This day is going to be an intense day of teaching those who want to hear what he has to say, of warning to those who do not want to have to say, and with that warning will come rebukes. He's not going to take any lip from these guys. This was his last working day in public. His mission to Israel was now ending. This is his last known day at the temple. The last teaching and confrontation with these religious political leaders. They came to pick a fight that they already lost. They didn't know it yet. Theirs was a spiritual, that, you know, that religious ugliness. It doesn't belong in one's faith, but there it is in their religion. There was nothing attractive about it. There was nothing to draw anyone to it. There was nothing to inspire or bless or benefit anyone. And that's why he made that connection between the cursed 
fig tree that was barren. It was bar- It was cursed because it was barren. By him, he cursed it. And he made that connection. These folks had allowed their religion to eclipse God. To overrule God. To block him out. To lock him out. As in the, the Gentiles would do the same thing. We get to the church at Laodicea. He's knocking on the door trying to get into the church. They don't even know he's absent. Jesus was to them that Galilean from Nazareth. Of all places, he wasn't a Jerusalem Jew. Who was he to ignore their authority, to expose and to denounce and to correct them? And this is what's in back of this confrontation that we're going to consider this morning. In the most blunt possible language, he infuriated them by simply telling it as it was. And we'll get to some of those Words of his directed directly toward them. And after he stumps them in this chapter, he unloads on them in chapter 12, Matthew 23. He just lays it out so effectively that they despised him. Not only did they have him in contempt, but they wanted to kill him. And and they pulled it off, they thought. He called them, or I should say he identified them, As liars, devourers of widows, fools. He called them straight out, you fools. Long-winded, doomed pretenders. This is coming from Matthew 23 and some of it from Mark 12. Blind guides who go out of their way to convert people to their brand of hell. Scathing language. Nothing funny on the look of their faces when they finally died and left this life and were face to face with him, discovering that Jesus Christ, this same Jesus who was the Galilean of Nazareth, was also Yahweh of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is, of course, Lord. That is a comprehensive statement. He rules over the universe, and no one can change it. The righteous love it that it's so. We just sing songs to, to just shout out our testimony and our admiration, our adoration for him. Now we look at verse 27. Then they came to Jerusalem again. He had been staying lightly up in Bethany. And he makes a daily trip into the city and then he leaves. Uh, and then he came to again to Jerusalem. And... As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him. That Jerusalem that is still there to this day. This especially religious and deadly city where Satan keeps himself busy. You go to the Temple Mount, you go to Jerusalem today, you see men walking around with semi-automatic rifles in groups. Because of the violence that can ignite there seemingly at the snap of a finger. Wherever Christ is at work, Satan looks to hang out. This is a fundamental principle of life in this cursed world. Matthew, or Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, And it happened as he sowed, as the Lord planted the word of God. And some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Now, not every single time, but in context, most of the time in the New Testament, birds symbolize satanic activity. And there is one example. The word of God is planted. 
Satan, who likes to hang out where the word of God is planted, if he can, if he's not barred, will come and devour whatever he is able to. It says here in verse 27, and as he was walking in the temple. Now, this is significant. It seems to pass over it. He's walking and he's teaching at the same time in the porches that were around the temple or the square, the courtyard. Matthew tells us, uh, Matthew 21, verse 23, in uh, the parallel account. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. So he's walking and he's teaching and they interrupt the lesson. They're so eager to get at him, to shut him down. And they're rude about it. But they think, you know, their the arrogance tells them they can do this. Because they felt they were the custodians of the law. Well, they should have been. The problem is, is they dismissed the law. That they were supposed to be the custodians to guard over the law. As priests and Levites. And those deputies known as Pharisees and Sadducees. These boys were still smarting from the table turning incident. And the Lord was flipping over tables and... and driving people out and standing guard. They, they were hurting about that. But because they approach him while he's teaching and walking, they create a condition by which he's got witnesses to this very exchange. He is going to refute and humiliate them in front of everybody. They didn't factor that in. Their rage was blind to that, I'm sure. It says the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. These are the big, this is as big as it gets in Israel. They wielded a lot of authority. They could have had him killed right there on the spot. They would not have. That would have backfired, and they knew that. But that's how much authority that they did have. And uh, they're going to pull it off in their own special little way, as we know, and he will cancel out his murder by just getting up. Okay, serve my purpose. I'm out of here. Well, anyway, uh, there he is, they said, as he entered the Temple Mount. There he is, that Galilean from Nazareth. This is an official inquiry conducted by these representatives of the Sanhedrin, those 70 men that oversee Israel, under Roman authority at this time. This is Jewish aristocracy, the rich and the wealthy and the powerful. No, nothing wrong with being rich, wealthy, and powerful if you are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham was rich, wealthy, and powerful. Solomon, well, that's another story. He was too, but uh, he made some tactical errors, to put it mildly. Anyway, the context of their coming to him was not for salvation, but for confrontation. When it says they came to Jesus, well, if we say that. We mean they came. So-and-so came to Christ. And we think of salvation, but this is not that. This is a fight. They despised him for not esteeming them. How dare you not recognize how sweet we are? And that caused the problem. It still happens to this day. If you get around folks that have that attitude and they have authority and power, they're going to try to do what they can and most of the time succeed in, in neutralizing you. They supposed that they could dismiss his miracles and his teachings and his spotless life without consequence. They were that dumb, spiritually speaking. Otherwise, they were very intelligent people. 
I mean, they were, they were not, you know, fools when it came to other things. But when it came to Christ, we see this today. So they refused to accept that he was the son of God in the face of overwhelming evidence. Again, there wasn't not that he was just came on the scene and says, hey, I'm the Messiah. How about accepting me? Others had done that. And they brought their armies with them. Their armies were all defeated by the Romans at some point. But they would discover when it was too late that they were accountable to him. And this, again, is something people still do. They refuse to accept him in, in the face of overwhelming evidence. And they go out of their way. They become spiritual contortionists. To bend over backwards, we would say, to escape facts. Verse 28. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Let's see your permit. <laughs> Where's your permit? Do you have a license to do this? <laughs> uh, well, he's going to counter, of course. And uh, he's going to make them earn this question. His triumphal entry into the city announced his Davidic right to the throne. They would have known that he is a Judean of the line of David if they had any interest in finding out. No one else could do that, incidentally. No one else could march into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and be heralded as the king that comes to save. All the others came with horses and swords, as I mentioned, and they failed. He comes in humility, uh, riding on a donkey, lowly, in, in fulfillment of their own prophets. Only he could pull that off. And then go on to suffer in fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, just two uh, lengthy passages of prophetic scripture, describing what he would experience, which he did uh, to utter fulfillment, and nobody else could. I mean, just, you know, uh, Micah saying he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You can't self-fulfill that. You cannot (laughs) decide where you're going to be born unless you're him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so these men, not used to being defied, not used to people, at least not faking respect for them, John the baptizer. He went out into the wilderness to to distance himself from these people. John was a priest. He was supposed to minister there in Jerusalem. Well, he he could have. But he wanted no parts of the corruption that was there. And so he began a ministry of baptizing, uh, immersing people in water for for repentance, recognition of their sin. John did rebuke them also, but he didn't do it on their home turf. At least we have no record of that. Christ does it right in their face where the seat of their power is at the temple. Sort of like going to a Senate hearing and flipping over tables and straightening them out and shutting them up. That's going to happen. We just got to wait. But it might not happen exactly like that, but ultimately, all power, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And there will be no, nobody will have, well, I've got to pass. Uh, there will be none issued. Matthew chapter 3, this is John the Baptist. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, because they had to check him out, 
He said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he continued, you know, God's going to separate the false from the true. So John did rebuke them also. But the difference is, John did not rebuke them there in Jerusalem. Now, that's no slight on John. It just elevates what's going on between Christ and them. How intolerant. They could have, all right, fine. John is out there giving us some grief. You know, the little people do things like that from time to time. They, they could dismiss that one. Christ had been dealing with them, and he called them, you know, Satan's children. We'll get to that verse from John 8 in a little bit. But again, to do it out in the open at the temple, oh, man. Had they been true to the laws of Moses, then this inquiry, by what authority? Wouldn't have been necessary. They would have known. He's matching the scripture. I mean, everything he says is right, spot on with Moses and the prophets. But because of their corruption, they forfeited their own authority. And they thought because no one wrenched them from their position, that therefore they were getting away with it. You know, you can fall uh, out of an airplane, one that's flying, uh, you know, and it can be so far so good till impact. And that's how it is with people. You can go through this life so far, so good. I managed to survive no matter where I am. Well, you won't in hell. Or actually, the problem will be you will survive to experience hell, not to overcome it. These things, they said. Who gives you the authority to do these things? What things? Well, the teaching, yes, that. Rebuking them in public, yes, that. But really, flipping over those tables was over the top in their eyes. Including... This, what, well, it's going to, going to add to this list his lambasting them in front of everybody in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 16. Here's an example of him already taking them to task. Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That word spread. Because nobody said these things about them with such authority. But he did. He said it to his disciples. He said it to, to the Pharisees and Sadducees' faces. And for the moment, there was nothing they could do. They wanted to kill him right there. But they could not. And we're going to see as we move through, they're they're going to say, well, let's not do do, doing the feast. And that's exactly when it's going to happen because they were never in control. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 17. Before I read the verse, the question is, why is he even subjecting himself to this inquisition, seeing that he is the creator of the universe? Well, it's always, it's us, it's love. Those who will love him, that's who makes up the us. John's Gospel, chapter 3, we know we read through John three sixteen. God so loved the world. But then the next verse is very important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Through him, there's nobody else. We, we understand. Now, you can listen to that and say, I think that's obnoxious of God to claim the exclusive rights to salvation. Or you can say, okay, Lord, I, sur- I surrender all. I come to you. And that's what makes up, uh, the, the separates the saints from the ain'ts. Verse 29, And Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me. And I will tell you by what, by what authority I do these things. 
Again, at the seat of their power, he puts them where? On defense. They started the fight. They, they, uh, they went right to offense. They attacked him, and he puts them right on defense. Now he's in control. He's going to decide where they're going to be. And again, could you imagine him at a Senate hearing putting them on defense? We have seen men go to the Senate and, and refute them soundly, and yet those, they were so disinterested in truth that it really didn't matter. And that's some of what is happening here. Until again, they die. Then they find out how much it didn't matter. Well, this... Uh, uh, to avoid this, all they had to do was love God's word. They would never be in this situation if they just loved what Moses had to say, if they loved the work of the prophets, if they pursued the fulfillment of the commandments. But nope, they preferred to do it their way, and they expected God to approve and line up with them. And uh, it's, a, it's a common mistake amongst people who are impenitent. Going back to this question that they asked him, by what authority, incidentally, he had already answered this question time and time again from where he came from. That's what it's about. You want to know by what authority, where do I get this authority? I get it from where I came from. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, he said, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. John 3, verse 35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. That all things does not leave room for anything to be missing. For example, what do you leave behind when you die? Everything. And it's not in the... Well, he, no, but he took his favorite ink pen. I mean, nothing gets by. It's all left behind. Well, the reverse goes, is true also. The Father has given to him all things. What part of all things is not absolutely all? Well... We understand. Verse, now John's Gospel, chapter 17, when the Lord is praying, he says, You have given him, speaking of himself, authority over all flesh. That's to the church. So we can go back and read that and say, All authority has been given to Christ. There's no one else like this. No, Michael, the angel, the archangel, he could not claim these things. Only Christ. So when you have the cult come along and say, well, you know, Jesus was equal with some created being. You know, they're out of their spiritual mind. That's not what the Bible says. And you could say to them, fine, if you believe that, just understand. If you're trying to use the Bible to do it, you're wrong and a liar. And if you want to go to stand before Christ that way, lying about him, then you have at it. I'll have no part of that. But say it in a loving way, with a smile. <laughs> Maybe they'll... They will, um, I mean, I, I, as witnessing to people, I have been successful as a good cop, bad cop kind of philosophy. Some people are knuckleheads. You've got to be tough with them. You have to say things like, the stupidest thing I ever heard concerning Jesus Christ. Where'd you pick that up? To get them to humble down a notch. And then others, you can never say, you don't ever want to say, you want to be very gentle with them. Say, I understand, you know, there's so much junk out there to, to scoop up. And here's why I don't believe that. You have, that's called you have the knowing, to, this being led by the Spirit. It's not a cookie-cut testimony. I wish I could be more teddy bear-like in the pulpit. But the Bible does not allow it. It's just too much stuff that goes right between the eyes. And less of a teddy bear and more of a real tiger when it comes to truth. 
and dealing with human behavior, a behavior that is reluctant to submit to the truth. What makes a Christian a Christian is that we submit. Verse 30, Jesus continues. This is his question to them. Here's where he puts them on defense. The baptism of John. As soon as they heard that, they said, "Uh uh-oh, this is not going good. I thought he's going to ask something else. Was it from heaven or from men? And then he says to their faces in front of everyone, answer me. Oh, man, nobody's done this to these guys before. They didn't know what to do. Oh, excuse me, I'm getting a phone call. I'll be right back. There was no way out. So he does not give them the satisfaction of a direct answer. Instead of saying, it was, you know, when they asked, what authority? My father. That would have been a direct response. But that's not the only response. It's not the only valid response. They forfeited that, too. It is sad when humans enjoy living in such a way in front of Jesus that Jesus doesn't like them. Will you be shocked at that? You think people can do anything? And he's going to say, I still like you. I mean, the atrocities that people do? do you, I mean, come on. I mean, you could still love in a sense that he wants to see them saved from an eternal hell. But that love has an expiration date on it if you are not a believer. Uh, this, it, there's a terminus. It can expire. And that's why we're not playing around with the gospel. Otherwise, it'd be a joke. That's why people create those heresies and false teachings that, you know, in the end, everybody gets saved. So Christ died for nothing. That's what you're saying. I mean, if everybody could just get saved like that, then God would have, the Father would have been vicious and malicious, mean to let him go through that. And there was another way. And that's why Jesus said, if possible, take this cup. Well, it's not possible, my son. If you want them saved, you're going to have to drink the cup. And he did. And he knew that. But he expressed it so we could know it too. Love can expire when it comes to God. God is not going to damn people to hell and love them at the same time. They're schizophrenic, we would say. These are realities. You You can't escape them. You can if you pretend. But that would be another form of dishonesty. So his question is, did God send John the baptizer or not? Just like that. And if they say yes, then he would say, then why did you oppose John? Why didn't you do something when his life was at risk? Why did you look the other way? Now, John introduced water baptism to the Jews. Prior to John, there was, they had at the Temple Mount these mikvahs, these large baths, and you could go in and you could immerse in it, like a shallow pool, but enough water to be baptized in. But the Jews weren't baptizing. That was a purification act. It was a purification, symbolic, so they could take their offerings to God, expressing their need to be cleansed. But that wasn't repentance direct of their sin. John, when he introduced this, he intensified public confession. Not confession at home. Well, you know, we have a, he was out in the public. You'd walk down into the water and everybody knew you were saying, I am a sinner and I want to be right with God and there are things wrong about me. And if I'm going to be right with God, I'm going to have to start admitting that without him, I'm problematic. And so the first step of communion with God was this 
awakening. You know, we live in a generation with this poor grammar. You know, they're woke. What is that? I'm woke right now. Later on, I'll be napping. But, my point, and they get so, I'm sure they get very insulted because they can't think they've come up with something new under the sun when they have not. Well, how about getting woke to your sin? You want to have a new level of awareness, a new age? Then how about not the new age of Aquarius or some other screwball thing? You say, that's offensive. Well, you should be offended. If you, if you swallow a lie from hell, you should be offended at yourself and then fix it. That's what Christ does. That's what the water baptism was all about. What if someone was, you know, what is he preaching, John? He's saying, come into the water, admit that you're not right with God. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm actually pretty good. That's why. See, that's what was happening. And that, then and, and now, you know, the person who says, I'm really not a bad person. <laughs> My cousin, when I was growing up, you know, I, I, his name was Bob. And we named him, he was named that because when they put him in water, he would bop. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but anyway, growing up, as silly, goofy teenagers that we were, I said, Bob, that's a pretty girl. And he would say, yeah, sitting next to what dog? And it was just his routine re- reply. And the point, he, the, the truth that was in that little silly, goofy thing was that it's relative. It's She's pretty related to what? Okay, you're a good person related to who? Because when it comes next to Christ, you're not. No one is. It's a relative statement. So if you say, I'm a good person, well, you might be compared to somebody who's not a good person. But that's not the standard. The standard by which you will be judged is Christ. So when you get to heaven, you say, are are you a good person? I was. Okay, I'm going to go down the list, and you tell me if you were as good as this person. Oh, there's only one name on the list. Christ Jesus. Or you as good as him. And the contrast is so sharp, so drastic. If the answer is anything than less, then you are a rank sinner. You are a violator of God's word. Oh, there's basic Christianity. But we're always looking for fresh ways to explain our faith to those who need to have it explained. And thus God has ordained preaching. Well... He says, answer me here in verse 30, putting again them on, de- on defense, humiliating them, infuriating them at the same time. Again, no one stood up to these boys as he is standing up to them. He had nothing to fear from them. And they saw that. They, could, they, they said, yeah, you think you don't fear us? You wait and see what we got planned for you. And he, he knew what they had planned for him. It was right there in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, chastised for our sins. His death was by permission. And not only that, it was a consent in harmony with the Godhead, the plan of salvation. Verse 31, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? So this is now they're having their their huddle. Their huddle is not going to get them out of this. Uh, they, they just they should have just stayed home that day. It should just left him alone. But uh, they started this fight. And by their own obnoxious and deadly arrogance, and it was deadly, it was so severe, they'd kill you, 
if you cross lines with these people, um, that they got themselves into this problem. It's a simple question. What did John ever do or say contrary to Moses and the prophets? And uh, this baptizing that he was doing, where is the fault with it? I'll return to that in a moment. So uh, their argument was not how best to get at the truth, but what they were huddling for was, how can we answer this in an honest way? That never crossed their mind. It was, can we come up with something that is plausible and profitable to our lie? See, that's how they, they were so dishonest. They would, be, they would lie without trying. It just came natural to them because they were not spiritual. At least not righteous, the righteous side of spirituality. Verse 32. But if we say from men, they feared the people. For all counted John to have been a prophet. It's interesting how Mark says that. In their huddle, he says, but if from men, and just kind of leaves it. And then adds, because they feared people. They knew the Jews loved John, and they would, they would turn on this leadership. They knew where their lines were. And that's why they became Machiavellian in their approach to retaining power and executing whatever dictates they found on their heart. And so if they rejected John as a prophet, they would have to face the people who would riot, and they knew it, and they wouldn't do that. Now, John, as I mentioned, was born into the priesthood, John the baptizer. He was bold, and he was blunt, just like Elijah, the prophet, and he's likened to Elijah. He had that kind of fire in him. When John preached, you did not object. You finished the sermon with John. (laughs) Yet, the Sanhedrin, uh, they rejected him. Herod feared him. Herodias hated him. The believers loved him. He was everything a prophet should be. You could not look at John and say, yeah, but he lacks this. You know, okay, he didn't like the, you know, the whole camel skin leather belt and his diet was awful. But that, what does that have to do with prophecy? I mean, you just, John let people know that he liked to be alone by, his, by what he ate. <laughs> it's like, he's like, hey, come on over for dinner. No, no, let's, let's, go, let's get takeout. So anyway, uh, this baptism that John introduced, no precedence for it in the Bible, as, as said. Moses did not baptize. Oh, symbolically, yes, that was there when he led the people through the parted sea. Elijah and Elisha did not baptize. Naaman was not baptized. He was dunked. <laughs> he dunked himself in the Jordan. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, the minor prophets, nothing about baptism. As John introduced it. So where did this come from? So when Christ says the baptism of John. Where does it come from? They could not say well Elijah did it. Well Isaiah. They had to say God. Or shut up. And that's what they would do of course. Well even that was. A flawed reaction. It exposed them. And uh, so this was a big question. Obviously it was God. Christ does not argue with these people. He asked them a question. He does not argue with them. He did not seek to enlighten them. Well, let me tell you where. He didn't bother with that. Where is it from? Because he knew they were dishonest intellectually and spiritually. They had passed 
from mere unbelief into apostasy. And when that happens, your chances of getting saved are almost nil looking at the Scripture. you give you an example. is Balaam. God sent a talking donkey to reach Balaam. And it didn't work. You say, well, that's crazy. Well, what about Judas Iscariot? I think God sent Judas Iscariot more evidence than Balaam ever had. And still he became an apostate. He fell away. God leaves the apostate to work out their own doom. And God records these incidents to say to us, don't you do it. This is not just mom telling a child, don't touch that whatever, um, you know, or else I'm going to spank you. This is more like, don't jump off that cliff. Because once you jump, the consequences are unforgiving. And so he had little, if anything, to say to these people because there was nothing that could reach them. They had no grounds to reject John and every reason to receive him, but they turned up their noses and they refused him. Today we see people saying, well, if the universities don't tell us it's true, why should we believe it? There you go. The spirit is alive and well. Of course, you have many that don't say that. Say, listen, the universities are wonderful for learning certain skills and and they just have the resources. But they do not have control over the Scripture. And that's the big disconnect. Our, our youth go to the universities and they give them everything. Instead of saying, wait, you can, have, you can have my attention for the courses I'm paying for. You know, you're not giving me a freebie. We're paying you to educate me. And I've come here to learn about engineering and not about political whatever. All right, that was my little rant. I could go on. I'd love to, but I'm not a political pundit, nor do I want to be. So God is saying to these folks, how dare you not receive John and side with him? And if you move towards apostasy, and we've seen some recent ones, some recent authors and songwriters become apostates where they renounce Christianity publicly like they had to do that. Why? Okay, you stop believing in Christ. Why do we have to hear about it? In a public forum. Because that's how Satan does. He sows his seeds too. And uh, the righteous just keep moving forward. Know this about apostasy. If I put it this way. Why should God waste his time with someone who has heard the gospel and knows the truth. And has then decided to reject it. When there are others out there who haven't heard it. And they need the truth. There are other people to be saved. There are other people to be made strong. This idea of, I'm going, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to leave the faith and the whole thing's going to fall apart. I'm going to leave the church and the whole thing's going to go south. That's Satan talking. I remember when I worked in the world, uh, on a particular job, I was getting extra money, actually, myself and my partner. And there were some disgruntled ones in the crew that weren't getting that money. Well, they weren't doing the things we were doing. Um, flying, we could fly. And uh, <laughs> just not in the air. Uh, but so they got disgruntled. One of them, the troublemaker of the group, got disgruntled. And he said, what? Oh, they, they paid us for a day we didn't work. And so then they took the money back. They said, oh, sorry, that was a holiday. We shouldn't have paid you. And they got so upset. 
And he said, come on, men, we're out of here. And we just said, see ya. <laughs> he thought he was just going to shut the job down and take everybody out. And so what they did, is they just took a few other guys and put them in their place, and the job continued without a hiccup. And God is not any different. If I should say, you know what, I'm finished. I'm leaving this church as the pastor. God would say, fine, go. I'll just get another one. And, and this, we should know this, that we're not, you know, we are expendable if we choose to go that route. That should inspire you. It inspires me. It makes me say, no way. No way am I going to make a mess and leave someone to come out and, and clean it up, and then I am rendered useless. I think I'll just take my hits where I am. Mark's, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 14. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. We need to tell folks sometimes, listen, you know, when God says, don't harden your heart, today is the day of salvation, you better take that seriously. Verse 33. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority... I do these things. Man, this is just this is just so foreign to them. They didn't know what to do. What do you do? They can't arrest him. They're afraid of the people. They're just flat-footed there. Even God cannot correct the will to refuse his truth. Jesus is standing right there. And there was nothing he could do without violating righteousness. And these were, again, otherwise intelligent people. And thus they are condemned by their own choices. Uh, Neither John nor Christ derived a speck of authority from these people. And neither do you as Christians in the world. Not in the church building. There's a system given there. I have to say that because some Christians haven't figured that out. But when it comes to the world... They have no authority over your faith to tell you what you can believe or not. But, but if they do create a condition like that, you have to understand the consequences. So if they say, if you speak Jesus within 50 feet of this courthouse, you're going to go to jail. And you decide you're going to speak Jesus within 50 feet, understand you're going to go to jail. That's, that's all it means. Uh, but be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. John, John's Gospel, chapter 8, records this. Now, I'm almost finished. I'm sorry, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Here's what Jesus said about them early. And they, they, this stuff got back to them. Jesus said of this group, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of. It doesn't get any hotter than that. So, you you know, if you just have this one-sided view of the love of Christ, and you have to take those kind of verses out of your Bible, but you can't do it because it's all over the Scripture. Again, Paul said, you know, Paul, when he wrote his Galatian letter dealing with people who would come in back of of what he did and try to undo it, he is brutal in what he said about should happen to those folks. Uh, You want to push circumcision? Well, this is what you should do. And he was just, man, startling. Anyway, um, I know it's in the Galatian teachings, so if you want to hear my opinion on it, 
uh, than the goat or observation. Anyway, the Lord not yielding an inch. He knew that they would never admit John was a prophet of his beloved father. And to this day, there are those who still refuse to answer his questions because they are intellectually dishonest. For example, they will stare at the evidence of creation and then scoff at it and come up with a theory. And then in time, insist that the theory is no longer a theory when they have still no evidence. They do this. And people believe them. And they have a lot of power. Uh, So nothing new under the sun. There is God's love for the sinner. And, uh, for example, who would have chosen a Samaritan woman, a non-Jewish woman in the days of the Jews, who had a soiled past, no less than five husbands, who would have chosen her to be an evangelist? The whole village gets saved because of her. He doesn't go into the village and look, who's the nicest guy here? He catches her at the well, knowing what she's all about. And he uses her to save others. There is God's love for the sinner. But there is God's intolerance for the sinful. And when I say sinful, the way I'm using it right now means the one that is full of sin and really not going to let it uh, empty any of it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for that group. God used those words to woke me, to wake me up to salvation. When I read those words looking for flaws in the scripture, it's like I do not want to weep or gnash my teeth. Because in this context, it was final, and it was just something that the Holy Spirit just made me know. Do you want this to happen to you? No. And I got saved right there. That Galilean from Nazareth, is the son of God from heaven. That's the authority. I'm from heaven. And they knew it. That's what they knew his answer. And so the word is, get saved by him or be damned by him. It's, 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 it's your call for those of you who have not made the choice. He is just getting warmed up. Next chapter, he's going to unload. And, uh, you know, we have this, when we say he is an awesome God, It does not mean only that he is to be adored when you see him because he is so beautiful. It also means he has the keys of heaven and hell. And uh, therein is the fear of God, the reverence of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may we be sober-minded as we consider what you have to say right from your word, may we not sugarcoat it. It's not necessary. How many people have come to salvation by hearing what you have to say without it being reduced or apologized for? We know, Lord, there are many out there who are trying to get rid of the Bible in the churches We're trying not to preach what the scripture says so people can attend. 
This is very heartbreaking. And may, and may we do whatever our assignment is from you to uphold the truths with love, gentleness when necessary, and firmness, a fierce firmness when that is called for. And may you find us very interested in being used by you, being useful to you. And may we have love. May we truly have love. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. And we also take a moment to invite anyone who has been listening and sensing God moving in their hearts, who has not, those if any, that are listening, those who have not opened their hearts to Christ, or maybe you've backslidden, maybe you've drifted away from Him. You have an opportunity to come or to come back to Him right here, right now. You may not get another one. It's not promised. For those of you who have not opened your heart to Christ ever, then you make this prayer with me, and you come, and God will receive you in spite of your sin. So he can take the judgment away. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your laws. I ask you to forgive me. There's no one else who died for me. No one else is able to make me new. To take away the judgment. And I give my life to you right here, right now. And I ask that you would be not only this day my Savior. But also the one who lords over my life. And Father, we'd add to that, if there are any those of those who have backslidden, may they just come back and ask you to take them in, to clean them up, to restore their relationship with you. We commit these things to your hands. None other are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.